Welcome to the anointed and transformational teaching ministry of Pastor Walea Kinshiku, Senior Pastor of House of Praise Mississauga, Canada, a parish of the Redeemed Christian Church of God. It is our prayer that as you listen to this message, that you will be empowered to achieve your dreams and fulfill your destiny. God bless you as you listen. Let's go to Psalm 137. Psalm 137. So we're going to look at the first couple of verses. In Psalm 137. Psalm 137, reading from the NKJV version. Psalm 137. It says, by the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down. Yea, we wept. By the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down. And yea, we wept. When we remembered Zion. We remembered Zion and we started crying. Verse 2, why were you crying? We hung our harps on the willows in the midst of it. Those who carried us away captive, okay, so this is when we're crying. They were in captivity. Those who carried us away captive asked us a song. And those who plundered us requested much, saying, sing us one of the songs of Zion. Verse 4. How shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? By the rivers of Babylon, where we sat, Yea, we wept when we remembered Zion. Let us pray. Father, we want to thank you for this morning. We want to honor you and magnify your name. Please, Lord, receive our thanks in Jesus' name. Once again, thank you for everything you have done, O God, to make us what we are and who we are. The foundation of everything is redemption we have through the blood of Jesus Christ, your only begotten Son. So, Father, I want to appreciate you for this, O oh God. This morning, we ask that your Holy Spirit, the teacher, will teach us this morning and inspire us, O oh God. In Jesus' name, we pray. The context of this story is that the children of Israel, of course, came out of Egypt after 430 years, went through the wilderness, all right, and under the leadership of Joshua, Joshua, they conquered the promised land. They entered into Jericho, they entered into Ai, and many other parts of the land. Meanwhile, God had told them before they got to that point that if they would diligently hearken to his voice, Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 1, that if they would diligently hearken to his voice, God said, I will set you above all the nations of the earth. God said, and these blessings will, run, will overtake you. So God had told them that obedience leads to blessings okay this obedience will invoke some curses upon them god had told them this it was all written out they all read it to them they all said amen they all agreed so this is what bible bible scholars will call the mosaic covenant and god had told them that if you don't fulfill this the land will vomit you in other words they will have god said they will go into captivity but the children of Israel, of course, over the years, just as it happens in this day and age also, this, you know, this, they were blessed. They started having prosperity. Things started working for them. They started forgetting God. They started worshipping idols, started adopting the religion or the idol worship, okay, and the terrible habits 
of the people that were in the land that God was angry with. They started introducing idol worship, started doing all manners of dangerous things, immorality, idolatry, and all of those things. So God was upset with them. So God steered up the Babylonians and the Assyrians to attack them. And you know, from time to time, God sent them prophets so that they can repent, but they refused to. They just refused to repent. You know, they shrugged their shoulders at God and said, whatever, you do whatever you want to do. So God said, all right, I'll do whatever I want to do. So God stirred up the Babylonians and they came. And they took the children of Israel. They took the cream de la cream. They are educated, the aristocratic class. That's where you see Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They were all taken to Babylon. So they took all that class to Babylon. They took the king of Israel. You know, they took him, you know, the Bible said they put hooks in his nose. And they pulled him to Babylon. Okay? So they were in captivity. So this Psalm 137 is written, was written by those of people that were in captivity. So here they were in captivity and they were feeling nostalgic, remembering, you know, what their previous life was like. They were, they were not in control of their lives right now. They were in captivity. They didn't decide where to go. They didn't decide where to, where to, um, when to sleep, where to go, what to eat. They, didn't, they couldn't move freely. You see? So they, they, they were now remembering, ah, there was a time when we used to move freely. There was a time when we used to go to where we wanted to go to. And all of that. So they were remembering all this. Meanwhile, the people that were in the land were now taunting them. So they said, oh, we, so they sat down and they started crying. Ladies and gentlemen, this reminds me right now. Uh, you know, the stories might not be exactly the same, but it reminds me where the world is today with COVID. With this COVID pandemic, whereby every, everybody, the world has changed. You know, we just could not, we can, right now, most of the people in the world cannot do the things particularly in the Western world, we can't do the things we used to do freely, the things we took for granted. You know, uh, you feel a little bit stressed, you wanted to just go on a holiday, you jump, you just, you know, go on online, you buy a ticket, you jump, jump on the plane, you know, you quickly go on holiday, go to Cuba, Mexico, you know, whatever, Cancun, you know, anywhere you want to go, go to Europe, you know, Mykonos or anywhere, you know, uh, three, one week later, you're back. The only people that are happy with this lockdown are the men that are getting married that won't have to pay for honeymoon. They are the only ones that are excited. They're like, praise God, all things work together for good. Because they don't have to pay, to pay for honeymoon. And they say, well, you know, they tell their, their newly wedded wife, you know, I wanted to take you, I had my plans, see, 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 see all the plans I have. You know, but see, see they show pictures, see all the, see all the places I wanted to take you to. But for COVID, and we don't know when this COVID is going to be over, so just move into my house. You know, they think they are marrying on the cheap, but but you know, God has the will, or it catches the crafty in their craftiness. So uh, it's only a matter of time. Uh, <laughs> praise God, praise God. You know, so all those things. For example, you your, your birthday is coming. Look at what we just did right now. We're celebrating birthdays and anniversaries. These are things that. We will have, you know, dance forward in church. Things we take for granted. You can't do that. I mean, going to school, going to school, you, you can't do that. Taking your child to a daycare, you can't do that. Seeing your, your family member, but that doesn't live in your house. Okay, but your, your brother or your sister, your nephew, your niece, your cousin, but they don't live with you in the same house. So you're not in, technically you're not in the same bubble. You know, seeing them after a month, two months, you can't hug. 
Little children, they, they can't hug you. You know, I remember sometimes last year when they just did a lockdown, a precious family, you know, uh, the, the lockdown just happened, the first wave, came to our house and they had, you know, one of the children. So the, 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 the man, you know, the, the dad came to our house, you know, and, and brought the two children, you know, two little kids. And they came, the, the children stood out, you know, the man is, um, you know, the man, I mean, what does he care? God bless his heart. He just came in and, you know, just, and, you know, after greeting, he came in, he was with the wife, you know, they came inside. The little children were very tentative because they've told them in school, you don't hug anybody, you don't go anywhere. They were very tentative. The, the first time, after staying outside for a while, you know, playing, they were playing, it was around summer, they were playing. The first time the lady, you know, thought to herself, I think I now, I, I, I need to go in it. Is where she felt pressed to use the washroom. Can you imagine? You know, but God bless the father and the mother. This was what, what did they know? They they grew up in another part of the world. They just came in, knocked the door, praise God, just them <laughs> Their teacher did not tell them, or maybe the teacher told them, but they never followed anyway. Nobody follows what the teacher says in those places. Just don't follow what the teacher says. They just did what they wanted to do. But my point here is that we have been conditioned. Now I see people, the precious people that are here right now, you know, the few people, precious, that are, you know, operating the camera, doing the technical stuff, you know, playing the uh, keyboard and all of that, auntie and singing, you know, we can't hug. We are staying three kilometers of, by three kilometers away from each other. You know, it, it's, it's unusual, you know, greeting each other from afar. Hey, hi, how are you? God bless you. May the Lord, peace be with you and may peace, peace of God reign with you. And, you know, you're going to, you're going to your place. I, you know, somebody like me that normally on a Sunday, you mingle with people, that's the role of a pastor, you know, you, you hang out with people, you talk to people. Many times I feel like just going out, the two Sundays ago I finished preaching at Ignite Church, I said to myself, God, this is one of those Sundays when I would have just loved to hang out with some of my friends in the Young Gala Church and just go to Dave and Buster and go and play some video games, you know, and go and do some shooting. Amen. You know, I used to do these things. I would take some guys there and we just, we just, you know, break into teams and start doing some shooting, you know. And it's all usually very, it's a lot of fun, you know. I want to, I want to go to Dave. You can't do anything. Right now, you just, just you, somebody came the other time, just came to church without telling anybody, just showed up by my car. It looked strange to me. I didn't, I didn't, know, how to, I didn't know how to act. <laughs> just seeing somebody that I've not seen in a long time, looking at the person near my car, I was thinking, oh, Okay, hello, how are you? You know, I hope everything is fine. Is everything fine? Oh, all right, then God bless you. Enter my car, close the door, boom. You know, I mean, it's strange. But you see, that is what the children of Israel were feeling at that time. Now, I've said all of this, and you know, we've joked about it. But there's some serious things that are happening when you're in that condition. The people said, We sat down and they wept. What made them weep? What is it that caused them to weep? What caused them to weep, they told us, is that they remembered Zion. So what was it about Zion that they remembered that made them cry? What was it about Zion that made them cry? What was Zion to them? So let me explain this to you. Zion in the Bible, okay, it represents, number one, a literal place is a place. So the nation of Israel today, the land. So Zion represented the land of Israel, number one. Okay? 
But beyond the land of Israel, Zion and Zionism is also an ideal, an idea, an ideal, okay, of what life should look like. Okay? So Zion is a place, number one. Zion is an ideal of what life should look like. Okay? Number three, Zion is an aspiration. Okay? Zion is an aspiration. So what you could call a dream. Okay? You could call, oh, it's a dream that I had of how, how my future is going to be. So when they remembered Zion, they were crying. It means when they remembered their dreams, when they remembered their aspirations, when they remembered the ideal life they wanted to live, they started crying. That, ah, look at how far we are from it now. That is why the title of this message is Don't Forget Your Dreams. Don't Forget Your Dreams. That's the title of this message. Don't forget your dreams. Life might have thrown you many curveballs. There are many things that in January of year 2000, last year, you, I mean, none of us envisaged this. You had planned to do. Maybe in 2019, you had some great plans. Maybe five years before then, you have set up some goals, some plans for yourself, what you were going to do, how you were going to do things. Suddenly, this pandemic came and shut things down and changed the landscape. You know, a friend of mine that I've, I've known now for over 11 years, a good friend of mine and a good friend of House of Praise, the other time or some weeks ago, I was speaking to him, and he was telling me that their business closed down. I was, number one, I was taken aback. I was shocked. But, but also, I was shocked, but not surprised. You know what I mean? I understand the environment and their business model is the type of business that, you know, is not friendly. COVID-19 shut down. It's not friendly to it at all. But the business is shut down. And I know this business. I know 11 years. I've seen the trajectory of the business, you know, and, and just like that, fizzled out. You know, but I want to challenge you today, no matter what you have been through, maybe your small business is just, it was a startup or whatever, it has closed down. Maybe you had plans to do this and that and that, and COVID-19 pandemic shutdown had really, really affected that. You know, I want to say to you, God is saying to you this morning, through me, don't forget those dreams. Okay? One of the things I love about the Bible is that there's nothing we're going through today that is new. Everything, one way or the other, has happened to somebody or some people in the Bible, in time past, and they were able to solve it. Okay? When the children of Israel came out of captivity at a particular time, okay, when they came out of this captivity, one of their goals was to build a temple in Jerusalem very quickly. You know, of course, they were coming out of repentance. They were coming out, so they were, God has promised them restoration. They wanted to build a temple. So they set out to build a temple. And a man called Cyrus, you'll have heard about him in the Bible, God used him okay, to release them from captivity. They were about to go and build the temple and gave them a lot of resources. And as they were about to start building the temple, opposition came, and the opposition forced them to stop. So let's look at it. Ezra, not Esther, but Ezra, chapter 4, verse 23 and 24. Let's do this quickly. 
Ezra chapter 4, verse 23. When the copy of King Artaxerxes' letter was read before Rehum, Shimshai, the scribe, and their companions, okay, these are the people that are trying to put, you know, the spearhead of the opposition. They went up in haste to Jerusalem against the Jews. You see that? And by the force of arms, they made them cease. Can you give me the NLT version, please? NLT version, please. When this letter from the king was read, then with a show of strength, they forced the Jews to stop building. So you saw that. So I don't know what you are building. Maybe you're building your career. You're building a business. You're trying to build your future. But you have stopped building right now because of this whole pandemic. It's like life has been put on a pause. The pause button has been pressed. They stopped building. The next verse, please. So the work of the temple stopped. And, you know, but it's one thing for you to stop building. It's another thing for you to forget building. So they stopped building, but they did not forget that dream. Okay? As long as you don't forget what you still want to do, okay, there's still a chance for you to restart the process okay, or continue the process. So yes, you might have stopped building. You might have stopped planning for the future. You might have stopped taking the concrete actions you were taking for the future. But please understand this. Don't forget your dreams. Don't forget your dreams. Don't forget your aspirations. Don't lose hope about your aspirations, your dreams, your future. Don't forget your dreams. Now, very quickly, one of the greatest tragedies, the greatest things that brings pain to people in life is abandoned dreams. It brings a lot of pain. When you, you know, particularly when you see other people that have now done what you were planning some years ago to do, but you abandoned. It brings tremendous pain, you know, because you know you can do this stuff, you know, but you, you, but, you know, you abandoned it. You know, you abandoned it. Uh, you know, this morning I was just, this morning when I woke up, I was reading because there was a boxing uh, match yesterday that, you know, I'm, I'm interested in boxing. Uh, uh, it's part of my pastime, you know, so, but there was a boxing match anyway, a heavyweight boxing match yesterday between the Briton and the, you know, in New Zealand. You know, so, I, I, and in this fight, okay, the Briton, a heavyweight boxing match, the Briton, within the first 10 seconds, 10 seconds of round one, so that's the first 10 seconds of the match, threw a right hook and hit his opponent and the opponent was on the floor. First 10 seconds. And sometimes that's the way life is. And this opponent was feeling, I'm stronger, I'm everything. Came into the ring, something you're prepared for for six months, and the first 10 seconds you meet with a, 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 a cough ball, and it hits the floor. But you know what? You can hit the floor, but you don't have to stay on the floor. So he hits the floor, first 10 seconds. He hit the floor, but guess what he did? He stood up. He stood up. You know, he managed, he stood up, it was not easy. The opponent rushed him, wanted to end the match. He was able to push back a bit, got his balance back. At the end of the day, he won that game. He won the match. 
Having hit the floor the first 10, 10 seconds, he still won the match. He lasted the whole entire boxing rounds, and he won by split decision. Sometimes, you know, that, that's the way life is. Because you've hit the floor in the first, you say, well, if I'm going to, you know, you look at it and say, ah, ah, ah. If you're going to, are you going to last 12 rounds? If in the first 10 seconds of the first round, you're on the floor. I can imagine how the wife would have felt. I, I imagine my own wife. If it was my wife, I know what, what my wife would have done. You know, in boxing match, if the coach throws in the towel, it means the game is over. My wife would not have thrown in the towel. She would have carried the blanket and thrown the blanket in. You know, but I thank her for her. You know, I appreciate my wife. You know, some what I'm trying to say. She's, she would have done that to protect me. <laughs> not knowing that I'm a champion, I'm not a loser. Praise God. Praise God. You know, so you can't judge the match just because you think your opponent is racking up points right now. It looks like you're going into depth more and more. I'm just sinking into depth. I'm sinking into depression at the same time. Things are just not working for me right now. Yeah, that might be the fact on the ground, but please don't forget your dreams. Don't forget your dreams. In the year 1996, I woke up into that year. Into that year, I was so excited. I said, oh, happy new year. Everybody was so excited. It was one of the most horrible years for me in my life. 1996, I was in London, England. I was a young 26-year-old going 27. It was horrible. That's when, you know, the stories I've shared with you, I went to the American embassy. I wanted to go write my Ameri ex exams in America. I was knocked off my stride a couple of times. A <laughs> couple of times. Everything I tried to do did not work. I was selling cars, you know, on the side. I've been working in London. I bought, you buy cars from mid-England, bring it into London, you know, South England, and sell it. You know, at maybe, and when I say buying cars, I'm not talking about serious, serious cars, you know. In those days, I'm talking of cars that are like 500 pounds, you know. But, but they, were, they were decent, they were, you know, you can drive them. You know, 500 pounds, you know, you buy 500 pounds from mid-England, mid you bring it to London, you sell it for 700 pounds, or 650 pounds, that kind of business, you know. And 150 pounds in those days, I'm sure it's still a lot of money now, but in those days it was even a lot of money, some 25 years ago. So on this particular occasion, I'd, you know, I mean, in this particular year, I bought this car, it's done it, cleaned it up. I was going to gain about 200 pounds on it, only for me. And I got somebody, you advertise in what is called loot. And it was London, some like our own, in those days there was no Kijiji, so this was a newspaper, where it was called loot, l -O -T. So this guy came, showed up. Just before he showed up, I mean, I mean, I just cleaned the car. By the time he came, and I said, let me walk you through, took, took him to the car. Uh, Pigeon had come over the whole place, and they've just messed up the car, pulled on the whole car. I mean, talk about dangerous people from my family trying to tie me down. I was frustrated. I was angry. You know, I, I, was, I was just, it was like nothing is working for me. You know, that was the year 1996. And the lie the LMA kept on telling me was that your dream of going to do this, your dream of doing this, all of that is dead. But along the line, while it looks like the dream was dead, somewhere in my heart, there was a little flame, a little flame. I must admit it was not a massive, you know, fire, but it was a little flicker of flame still burning, that somehow, I don't know how, but somehow, this whole thing, this whole aspiration I have is not dead. And I want to say to somebody here today, don't forget those dreams. And I want to tell you quickly, 
as I put this together, and then we can go into how to solve the problem, the reasons, some of the reasons why people abandon their dreams. And if you have ever, if you understand what I've been saying, you, you, will, you will have come across some of these things, you know, you know, because this is what really makes it difficult. If you are living in a vacuum and it's only you, okay, it's not going to be as difficult. It's because there are people there also, okay, that makes it really a lot more difficult. The first reason that, you know, people really, really find it difficult and they just forget the dream is mockery, mockery, mockery. When people mock you, you, you want to do something, you start something, and people begin to mock you. You know, you know it, it, it's so hard on its own. Then it's harder when people now mock you. And you try. This one that you didn't try. You know, I think for me, the frustration I feel is that people don't even give, give you credit for trying. I mean, it's not like I didn't try. I actually tried. I, I went to the library. I must have studied maybe 120 hours. You know, I prayed also, and I went for the exam. But for some reason, I got to the examination hall. Like one lady said in one of her testimonies, she said, she said her brain was not cooperating. You know, I go to the examination hall, and just, it just didn't work out. You have tried. You have applied. You've gone for interviews after interviews after interviews. You've gone for a coaching master class on the internet interview skills, you brush up your skills, you put your resume together again. You know, they said you don't smile enough at interviews. You smile with all of your 38 teeth. I mean, I don't know if it's 32 or 38 now you have. But whatever number you have, you know, <laughs> or 32 minus X, you know, the X being a positive integer, praise God. <laughs> you know? <laughs> praise God, praise God. You know, PW, you're preaching in House of Praise, not in night church. So, so be careful. All right. So it's the mockery that makes it difficult. You know, and when you are now in a community where the people have a gift of insensitivity, which our community, they are gifted. I won't say by God, but I don't know where the gift has come from. They are not sensitive at all. They are the ones that will now see you and be asking you questions that will make you question yourself. Questions that will make you doubt your own capacity, doubt your own... You know, that's when people will see you. And they start asking you all manners of strange questions. Ah, how are you? Is that your husband? Okay. Why? why? I mean, you just saw a man go by my car. You asked me if it's your husband. You know, what kind of nonsense question is that? That's when you are serving in junior church. You're coming there, you see some children, you know, children that know you, that you know their parents very well, their family very well. They see you, and they greet you and say, hey, that's your daughter. Okay, it's not my daughter. And people are asking, that's when people see you, you know, you, you, know, you dress up in church one day, and, you know, you just got married, and people are already looking at you, whether you're wearing something to look, that looks like maternity, and they start coming to you, these jeans, jeans, jeans you're wearing all the time. When are we going to start seeing? You know, and people that are not stakeholders in your destiny start asking you questions that stakeholders only can ask. You know, I don't know if you're understanding what I'm saying. People that are not stakeholders start asking you such questions. 
And I'm saying to myself, what exactly? And I, I'm telling you everything I've been through. Everything I've been through, what I've said. What I've said now. You know, they start asking you these questions. You know, they start asking questions that only stakeholders will ask you. You know, I, then they start frustrating you. I say, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You told me about the interviews. Like, so how is work? How, how is it going? You walk downtown. Don't you walk downtown? No, I don't walk downtown. I don't want to discuss work with you. We're not on that level. Where I want to discuss these type of things with you. You know, I remember when I was in Jesus House, London, and we were starting a church in, in, I've told this story a few times, you know, in Miami, Florida, in 1998, 99, and I was, I was the head of the intercessory team. So, of course, the church is about to go and plant another church in Florida from London, and I was part, because of the head of the intercessory team, and to the glory of the Almighty God, my pastor, Pastor Agu, you know, entrusted me with a lot. So he said, you know, while it gets some of your guys to be interceding, you know, of course, which we're going to do some months before. So we're interceding for it. The old church knew we're going to be starting this church and all that. And people started coming to me. You know, our pastor had announced that, you know, we'll be going to start this church and some of us will go in there. Pastor, of course, was going to be going with a few people. And so we knew that pastor was going to take a few people. People were coming to me in the church, saying to me, oh, Hey, hi, Brawalia. Brawalia, we know. The, even the pastor is going to take only one person. Apart from pastor and his wife, he's going to be, I mean, you're the head of the intercessory team. You are going to Miami. Some people are even telling me what to buy for them. <laughs> when I go to Miami, Florida, tell me, oh, Brawalia, you know, in those days, Tommy was a big deal, square toe. You know, can you buy me Tommy, square toe? Buy me some blazers. Please buy me. They were telling me what to buy. Some of them were trying to give me money for what to buy. Now, I could not have gone to Florida. Someone say, why? Why not? Uh, <laughs> they were just, shall we just say, one or two things needed to be put in place. Let's put it that way. You know, one of the things, you know, needed to be put in place for me to be able to go there. So I couldn't go. I couldn't go. So, I'm, and then what, what and I could still understand you saying, oh, Brawali, you're going, I will tell people, oh, I'm, not, I'm not sure yet. Then when Pastor announced the date, I said, we're going. That, my case just, you know, <laughs> astronomically just got worse for me. People just come to me, ah, brother, so you're going on Tuesday, right? Your flight is on Tuesday. I said, I'm, I, I had to start, <laughs> I, I had to start, I had to be very careful. You, you know, going to church now became a chore because I was going to meet with people. I remember that particular first Wednesday, the middle service, after they had all gone on the Tuesday, I, I, I didn't want to go to church. I had to force myself to go to church. When people saw me in church, ah, praise and worship was going on. They turned back, ah, brawale. At the end of the service, I couldn't wait. As they were saying, hold the hands of your neighbor, let's share the grace. I, I was sharing the grace. I was outside already. The pressure was much. But you know, so something about life, the mockery, the pressure, there's something about life I, I found out. This pressure and this mockery is designed by Satan, listen carefully, to make you bitter. Bitter. And if you become bitter, okay, if you become bitter as a person, it will mean that you have ignored, you have ignored the potential of that season to allow the season we are in right now allows you and I to grow more than the previous years.
then you will not have grown. If the mockery, but God has permitted it to make you better. So the idea is that you become a you know a better version of yourself. In, in Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 19, Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 19, where the children of Israel were building the wall. The Bible says, when Sambalat and the Horonites and Tobiah the Ammonite and Geshon the Arab, they laughed at us. They despised us. And they said, what is this thing you're doing? What is this thing you're doing? They mocked them. They mocked them. So you and I must be very careful about that. Please don't let mockers and mockery don't let it make you drop your dreams. Don't let it make you lose your dreams, your aspirations, and get you depressed. Don't let it do that to you. Number two, quickly, why is it that people abandon their dreams apart from mockery? Some people couldn't, they can't survive the stage of mockery. It's all, it's so difficult for them. Number two is past failures. Sometimes you have tried it before, praying and fasting, you have tried it so and so you have tried it uh, do it this way you have tried it you have modified your approach you have adjusted your approach you are showing a lot more flexibility you have tried it over and over again and it looks like every time you have tried it you have failed please listen to me these past failures okay if you and i are not listen carefully to what i'm saying if you and i are not careful to learn how to deal with temporary setbacks, then we are going to be permanently set back. We must learn how to deal with it. Some people interpret temporary setbacks as God saying no to them. For them, it means God is saying no. God is saying no. You know, some people say, well, with all my fasting and prayer, with everything I've done, I don't know why God is doing this to me. Listen, it is not God doing it to you. I'll get to that in a few minutes. These past failures, okay, if you and I don't learn how to use it properly and understand what scripture says about being knocked down in life, then we are going to have the wrong attitude that will make that, you know, that will make temporary setbacks a permanent defeat. Let's look at Proverbs 24, verse 16. Proverbs 24, verse 16. Quickly. It says, A righteous man may fall. How many times? Seven times. But the most important part of this whole verse is just the three words in the middle there. And rise again. And rise again. That's the most important part of the whole verse. You are righteous. You are the righteousness of God in Christ. You say, but he may, may fall seven times. Seven times is not an exact number. It just basically means it can fall as perfectly as many times as possible. You have tried it once, twice, third time, fourth time. It's just not working. The Bible says, and rise again. Many people never wait or are not persistent enough until they get to that point of rise again but the person that says they may fall seven times is the same one that says and rise again what i want to notice in this scripture is that it did not say the righteous man falls seven times and may 
rise again. So, and rise again comes with certainty. It comes with certainty. If you have fallen as a Christian, you are destined by God to rise again. If you have tried something as a Christian and you have failed or you are falling, the next step thing that will happen to you according to the word of God is that you will rise again. And I'm saying to somebody here today, you will rise again. No matter how many times you are falling, you will rise again. So, so please, and I think that part of what happens is that, you know, when we share testimonies or when you are looking at other people from afar, you're looking at the testimonies, you look at what's going on in their life, physical things going on in their lives, you automatically assume that they've never had failures or they've never had setbacks, I should say. But that's not true. I mean, at least I can, I can tell you in my own life. And I can tell you, even some other people, great men and women of God, and other people that I've interacted with, I can tell you stories about their lives. It doesn't mean they've not had failures. Okay, so for example, now if somebody, if I brought in a friend of mine now into this building, you know, that the church just moved into, and I give them a walk around, they walk around the whole place, they'll be like, wow, wow, this is so nice relative to where you're coming from, where the church used to be, you know, some five minutes drive from where we are right now. This is completely a game changer. This is completely different. But what the person will not see, they're seeing the finished product right now. What they will not understand is the setbacks, the serious setbacks that went through before we could even get to find this place or got to this place. How many times I took our leadership to a particular building and we get to the building, they take a look and all of that, they like it, they say, okay, we all agree on it. We put in an offer. You know, there was one particular one that we had liked so well. It was just right there. Not far from here also, we put in an offer on, I remember clearly, on a Friday, the offer got to the agent. The Thursday before, 24 hours before, that's when the agent, they told us, the agent told us that actually somebody else had put in an offer. I thought it was just the normal sales, sales gimmicks. No, we put in an offer. They said, oh, sorry, we had already, uh, just yesterday. So what kind of a thing is this? You know, I, there was a setback. There were, even, in, even during the period of coming into this place, there were a lot of setbacks. But, you know, but the script, this scripture kept me going. And rise again. And rise again. So we have to understand, yes, there might be setbacks. Yes, we must have had past failures. But, you know, you know the, amazing, the amazing thing is this. I was telling the story of the, of the boxer, you know, the British boxer and the New Zealander that fought the New Zealander, his name is Parker. I've forgotten the name of the British boxer now. One guy was born in Zimbabwe, then became a Briton. Forgotten his name now. You know, I think it's Chiroza or something like that. But anyway, I was telling you the story. But you know, when history judges that match, they won't say that the British boxer, the Chiroza guy, knocked down Parker in 10 seconds. They won't say that. They will say Parker won. It's as simple as that. People are going to look at your life in the next two years, five years. Nobody's going to be talking about the setbacks you have or the failures you have. They'll be talking about the fact that you triumphed over every single one of them, which you will in the name of Jesus Christ. Nobody's going to look at me right now and say to me, 
uh, when I said this to people, you know, we all laughed about it right now. But it wasn't a laughing matter then. When I was living, in, when my wife and I were living in London, England, and I'd come, come into London, England, which in those days, in the 90s, I think they've changed it now to something else. When, you know, there used to be what was called the Commonwealth visa. You come into London, England, however you come in, visitor's visa, which is, you know, then you have a two-year Commonwealth visa, which you can work with and all of that. You know, as long as you are from a Commonwealth country and you're younger than 26, I think that's what the law says there, which all applied to me and I got a Commonwealth visa and I was fine. But two years, when you get the visa, it looks like 20 years. But all of a sudden, one day, two years is now two weeks left. But anyway, then along the two years, I, you know, I met up, see, she was a student, came in with student visa, you know, nice girl, nice family, everything, aristocratic person. Me, I'm just, you know, trying to cut my teeth. And here, you know, we got married. She came on my, you know, I, can, I cannot go on her own, you understand? I can't allow her. 25 years later, she'll be telling me I came on her, you know. This, this is not the part where you take and say, God has spoken to you. You, you, you have a lady, you, you, lady, she's a Canadian citizen. You are from, um, <laughs> You know, you are from somewhere. And you now say, I, I remember our pastor said, my brother, listen to me. <laughs> you don't do that, you know. But for me then, I did not know her as much. So I said, you know, baby, oh, no, no, baby, you come on my own. So she came on my own. So when we now both send it into the British, uh, um, whatever, home office, home office, and they told both of us that, thank you very much, we have received the application, but it's time to go back home and go and meet your parents. You know, I, I, I felt bad for myself, definitely, but I felt worse for her, for putting her through this kind of stress. I looked at her, this is, a, this is an aristocratic girl from the upper class family. How, I mean, how is she going to, I know she going back to her home country, wasn't going to be a big deal. Her father is going to meet her at the gate with a peck. That's the way they greet each other. I just give her a double peck. T-tops, oh, how are you? How was the fly? Oh, something, something. Did you bring chocolates for me? And I'm serious. That's their conversation. You know, I, I understand that, but I was still feeling bad. And I'm still going to drag that down. That cannot be the That was not the conversation in my own house. If you show up and you tell, there's no bell to press. It, so no, let me say you press the bell. But you come into the gate. You show up. My dad will say, no, no, no. It cannot be him. Even my mother said, I've seen him. My dad will say, no, no. He's a ghost. It cannot be him. But I would say, even he knows he cannot come back here like that. <laughs> you, know, you know, but, but, but my point is, I'm feeling bad for her. What kind of trouble is this? But you know, I've been to England several, of course, several times after that. Now, when I go to England right now, I say to myself, isn't it amazing that nobody could have thought that this is the same person? You see, in life, it's not what happens to you in life. You know, is your reaction to it. 90% of whether you're going to be successful or not is your reaction to circumstances. But that experience, apparently I did not know that at that time. God used it to equip me for the work I'm doing right now. So right now, I'm not intimidated of, you know, when I see circumstances not going the way I thought it would go originally, which is what happened with the building. When somebody else are taking that other building, I'm like, okay, all right, let's do something else. Let's go, let's find something else. So, please, I'd like you to watch out for this. Don't let past failures 
Don't internalize your past failures. Please write that down. Don't internalize your past failures. Failure is an event. It is not a state. It's not a permanent state. You might have failed at business, failed at the interview, failed at the exam, failed at one of a relationship, failed at one, but that does not make you a failure. As a person, you are not a failure. The reason why I can say that to you authoritatively is this. You were a success before you were born. Success is built into you, listen, number one, by creation, but even far more importantly, by redemption. You have been redeemed from the curse of the law. Galatians chapter 3 verse 13. Part of the curse of the law is failure. God told them in Deuteronomy 28, he said you will carry much seed to the farm, but you will not bring in much harvest. That's failure. Putting a lot of effort, little result. It's, God told them that in Deuteronomy 28. But the Bible now says in Galatians 3.13, Christ has redeemed, past tense, us from the curse of the law. See that? He has redeemed us from the curse of the law because it became a curse for us, which means that as at the time Christ died, he carried our failure so that we can exchange okay, our failure for his own success. So by redemption, you are already a success. Oh, please say with me, I'm a success. Oh, please touch yourself. I know you might not feel like it. Don't worry about what, how your emotions are feeling right now. But just say, because what you're saying is the truth. Say with me, I'm a success. Please, one more time, say it. I'm a success. You are a success by redemption. Now, some of you might say, but I don't feel like it. That's all right. We don't move as Christians by feelings. We walk by faith, not by sight. So remember that. I did a success seminar, success seminar, that's the title, that's the name, success seminar. When I first started out in year 2000, I did a success seminar. You know, the whole church was maybe about less than 20 adults anyway. But we had prayed and all of that, gotten ready, trusting God. I, I mean, you couldn't have said we're in trusting God. We had done whatever we knew how to do, fasted, prayed, the entire leadership. Practically the entire leadership was the entire church. We had done all of that. And we were just trusting God for about 50 people. 50. And I did this seminar Friday night and Saturday. I remember clearly the Saturday morning. You know, and this is after, I need to let you know, this is after we prayed, fasted, and a lot of hard work. Myself and one of our dear brothers in the house of praise there, his name is Brother Poe, he used to be the one-man choir, the only one, just pick up the microphone and sing. That's how we started. Myself and him went to the shopping mall, just about five minutes, no, no, maybe about ten minutes from here, called Square One Mall, to distribute the flyers. We had printed maybe about, um, I don't know how many, but there were many. So we distributed the flyers. While we were distributing the flyers, I did not even know that it was against their law there that we could not have been allowed. So they saw us on the camera, and the security officers came and told us to, to leave the premises, that we're not allowed to do that. I looked at him, and you know, he's like me. I looked at him and I, thought, I said to him, you know what, the violin taking my force. So we told the security officer, I was oh, thank you very much. We left the north end, we went to the south end, we continued distributing the flyers. We exhausted all those flyers. After doing all of that for God, ah, for Jesus, then we had this success seminar. Number one, the first thing that happened was that since it was a success seminar, I thought to myself, I was going to get a new jacket. Okay? I've not gotten a new jacket for a while. 
no, since been in the country. I said, I'm going to, this is going to be a good time to wear a new jacket, just the jacket. So I had seen one, we're living in a place called Tony. I had seen one in Promenade Mall. You know, and it wasn't that, it wasn't a, you know, it wasn't a designer or anything. You know, I just seen it in the, the bay or something. So one, one corner like that in the bay, you know. It wasn't anything expensive. I've seen it, I've eyed it. Okay, we're just coming to the country. So we didn't have credit card or anything. I couldn't purchase it immediately. So I had to go home. I went home to, you know, make things available to come and buy the jacket. But I'm telling you a true life story. By the time I got into the bay, I just saw one man. He had picked the jacket. You know, I'm telling you, he was walking to the POS to pay for the jacket. And I, when I saw the jacket, I'd taken the jacket, you know, I've moved it to the, to the edge. You know, because the jacket, okay, maybe I should tell you this part of it so that you don't feel. The jacket, you know, you won't make too much fun of me, right? Okay. You know, this was a jacket, not like this one, that had two buttons. But one of the buttons was off. You understand? One of the buttons was already off. Which, so they slashed the price. Okay? So, but I knew that the button, God does not need to create a new button. So once the button is off, I already sense that. Normally, to have one extra button inside that you can always take out and quickly, you know, go to stitch it or something. Another $5, they put the button there and you are all looking good. So I had put it aside because they slashed the price by half price. Only for me to show up there, another immigrant man had picked it up. And I was too sure he wasn't going to use it to go and serve God. So I was saying to myself, what? God cannot even keep a jacket for me. I got to the soccer seminar. There were less people in the seminar than the number of people in our church. Some of the people in that same church, that church, not this one now, that church, you know, they didn't come to the seminar. I was upset towards the end of the seminar anyway. With all the flowers we distributed, not one person showed up. Towards the end of the seminar, one woman strolled in. She, she said she saw the flyer. I, I, I can't even tell if I was happy or sad. I was, just, I, was just, I was just upset with everybody. Upset with God, upset with the angels, upset with the devil, upset with myself, upset with everything. I just started out maybe six months in pastoring. You know, so, but today now, you wouldn't know that. You wouldn't know that if I didn't tell you the stories. You wouldn't know that. Today, what you will see today is, oh, what about our praise doors? What about we're doing, you know, open heavens, 10,000 people. We have to lock the door at a particular time because the number of people inside were more than is required or the place could accommodate. You, those are the things you will, that, that will stay in people's minds now. But you will remember those stories of days of small beginning. So we have to be careful. But you see, you go through that, you get knocked down, but remember, and rise again. So don't, your past failures is not the end of your story. Your past failures, not the end of your story. I've got to wrap up now. The part I really thought I was going to talk about, about is the, the third reason why people abandon their dreams, which is that the lack of the right information. Lack of right information. The first reason is mockery. The second reason is past failures. The third reason is lack of right information. And this lack of right information, this lack of right information, Hosea chapter 4 verse 6 says, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. So I've classified this lack of right information into two. Okay, into two. The first one 
is lack of the right information about God. The second one is lack of the right information about their environment. So you can write it down. The first one is lack of the right information about God. Then lack of the right information about the environment. The two needs to come together for you to see what is called an extraordinary miracle. Now, when you are going through a difficult season, like some of you are going through right now, the whole world is going through right now, God wants us to deepen, please listen, God wants us to deepen our knowledge of him, and he wants us to broaden our knowledge of the environment. He wants us to deepen our knowledge of him while we broaden our knowledge of the environment. That's what happened to me. When I went through all of that, after all my anger fits, I now sat there and said, okay. Then I got deeper in my relationship and knowledge of God. Then I got broader in my understanding of the environment of Canada. Vis-a-vis pastor in the church. What people tend to do is that they tend to just try and understand the environment without getting a deeper understanding of God. Let me just tell you one or two things here. Then, you know, we can start to bring this to a close. Let me say something to you about God that will help you in this regard. Please understand this. I know you know it. It's very simple. It's something you know. You even think about it. We say it as a cliche in church all the time. But please understand this. Acts chapter 10 verse 38 Acts of Apostles chapter 10, verse 38. How God anointed Jesus Christ of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. Notice this now. He went about. What was he doing? Doing good. Doing good. He went about. Nobody forced him. Nobody begged him. He went about doing good. God always does good. Okay? God always does good. God always does good. Okay? Please, notice this. Listen carefully. Oppression never comes from God. Satan, the devil, is the source of all oppression. The devil is the source of all oppression. So, if you are feeling oppressed in an area of your life right now, it is not God. God is not the source of your problem. That's the bottom line. God is not the source of the problem. However, God is the source of the solution. So, my point here then is, don't fight God. I I, I was there. I told you now, 21 years ago, so I'm not accusing you, I'm not knocking you, I understand the situation, but please don't fight God, and please listen carefully to me, don't run away from God. It's very important for you to stay in the game. Stay in the game. As long as you are standing, things can change at any time for your good. Don't run away from God and don't quit on God. This scripture helped me to stay 
in the game. This scripture helped me. Jesus went about doing good. He was solving the problems for those oppressed of the devil. So whenever I was feeling then, it was not from God. That, that the, the oppression of my emotions at that time. You know, I just started out. I was 30 years old. When I started out, many people that are 30 years old, 32, 33, whatever, today, that are starting out in Canada, I really thank God for them. Because they have a lot of people, and I'm not just saying myself, they have a lot of people to mentor them. A lot of people to go to. They have access to a lot of resources. When I started out in the year 2000, we could barely have a, a, a we didn't even have a, I didn't even have a, I didn't have a desktop, I didn't have a computer. I had to go to the library every day to go and use the computer to access my emails. You know, one or two emails that somebody would send to me. I didn't have a, I didn't have a computer. I only saw a computer in the library and when I go to work. I didn't, wasn't even working there, I was going to school. Okay, so I didn't have, it's not like today where you have laptop, you have a lot of laptops, iPad, phone, we didn't have all of that. Maybe some people had, but it wasn't ubiquitous. You see? So, 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 but today people have all of that. In my own days, I didn't have that. I was 30 years old, I just started pastoring. The pressure, you know, was much. The pressure was much. The pressure was much. Failure was, you know, was tearing me just right there i mean it, it was it was bad it was very 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 bad it was very hard it was very tough but stay in the game he that is coming is going to come he will not tarry the vision is for an appointed time god is a good god god is doing good it's not the source of the issue in in matthew chapter 13 verse 28 the people jesus gave the parable and he said did you not say good stairs into your land so what happened how did he, is he bringing forth this Jesus told them, Jesus told them, an enemy has done this. So this that you don't like is not God that did, did this that you don't like. Okay, that's not grammatically correct, but you get the point. So it's not God that is behind that situation you don't like. Okay, it's the enemy. However, God is the solution to help you push back on the enemy so that the situation can change. So please, my brother... My sister, don't quit on God. Don't give up internally on God. Okay? Don't, don't, don't lose faith. Don't say to yourself, well, I don't know, whatever God wants to do, let him do. Don't do that, please. I know the temptation to do that is strong. The feeling is strong. I was there. I was there. I wish somebody had told me this. I wish somebody has been through it, you know, stood and told me that, you know, don't, do, don't, don't quit. Stay with it. Nobody told me. I just had to weather the storm under very difficult, extremely excruciating pain. I can't even describe the, the pain is too much. It was so much. But it was the enemy. The enemy knew what was coming. The enemy knew there was going to be open heavens. He knew there were going to be different, different things. So the enemy wanted to truncate it right there and there. So please understand that. Understand that. Pastor Elias, the right information of God, as I just gave you a little bit, I will continue next week Sunday. But also then, start understanding your environment. If you have to find out more information, then find out more information about what's going on. If you have to get uh, abreast of the facts in the area of your career to know what's going on, if you have to be flexible enough to know that, you know what, I can't pursue that 
career the way I thought I would pursue it. Let me adapt and be flexible, change my approach, retrain, and go for it this way. Then so you so be it. You know, so be it. You just have to learn to understand the environment you are in. Unfortunately, some people don't understand this environment. And they come to Canada, and like I said this with a lot of authority, I've been here for a, a few days in this country. They come to this environment and they become woeful failures. Some people come to this environment, they feel that their mandate in their, the mandate of God they have in their lives is to come in here and be a representation of their Asian traditions from Africa. You know, you know, they don't understand that when you get into an environment that you don't know at all, listen to me, you don't adopt the spirit of the environment, but you adapt to the environment. So you don't adopt the spirit of wardom and immorality here, but you adapt to the environment. That's why Paul the Apostle himself said, to the Jew, I became a Jew. You know, you'll have read in the Bible how Paul picked Timothy. Timothy's father is Greek. His mother is Jews, and the, a Jew, rather. And the Bible says that Paul got Timothy circumcised because he didn't want to offend the Jews that were with him. He knew his ministry would be truncated or at the very least limited if he did not do that. He got Timothy, he got Timothy circumcised. People come into this country, you know, I, I shared this briefly in Ignite Church that time. They have one very long name that they are romantically, you know, you know romancing that their great-grandmother gave them. This name is unpronounceable even by the people from their country. And they, they come into this country and you, the name is on two lines. And this resumes that you will throw out there, the resumes, the resumes are not looked at initially by human beings. They're searched by AI, artificial intelligence. There are keywords that need to be in the resume for the, for, the, for the artificial intelligence or whatever it's called, for the system, the software, to pull it out, to say, okay, this resume. But when the software comes across your name, it thinks, you have, it thinks it's, a, it's, a, it's a curse word. And some people don't, some say, well, there's one person was telling us, he said, well, but I have to keep to my tradition. Keep to your tradition. Keep to your tradition. And if you continue to fail, speak to me in the next 10 years. You can't do that. If you want to sing, I, at home, I listen to all manners of music at home. Every type of music. That is Christian music. Christian, with Christian lyrics. But I'm not, I'm not one for, for the, that's not the vision. And people have come into this country you start a church, okay, right in the middle of the service, you, the choir person, person picks Mugu and begins to sing, okay, I mean, you can't do that in this part of the world, like that. If you do that, you have automatically limited the impact and the reach that God wants you to, people you God wants you to reach. You have limited that automatically. You have limited that. You can do that. You can do that. Somebody's you know, somebody's complaining about this, complaining about that. You can always go to YouTube and sing up and say, yeah, yeah, if you want to sing up and say, yeah, yeah. But you can't do it as a pastor. You can't put that in the center of your church. You, can't, you have to understand that. You have to understand that. You, are, you have to be all things to all men. And not limit yourself because you cannot, you cannot be mature enough to outgrow certain emotional limitations. Understand your environment. Understand your environment. 
If you are in this country, you come in with a BSc, you're from, you know, Madiguri State University, whatever, whatever, you're from one place, one, you know, place, I'm not saying your school is not good, but you're here, you might need to quickly pick up something in this nation, okay? You might quickly need to pick up, what is it, diploma, upgrade yourself, pick up something, understand this environment, then you, you plug into the environment. Praise God. I hope this has been a blessing to somebody here. It says, an enemy has done it. Remember, Proverbs 24, verse 16. And will rise again. And will rise again. I pray for you today that no matter the failure you have been through, no matter the circumstances you have been through, in the name of Jesus Christ that is above every name, you will rise again. This is the end of the message. We are sure that you have been blessed. For more information, please visit our website at www.houseofpraise.ca. God bless you.